Well, before we begin, let's just bow with a word of prayer and ask God to open our hearts. Father, thank you so much for each person who's here this day. And I'd ask, Lord Jesus, that you would meet each individual as they open their heart and apply themselves to this word. I pray, speak, Lord Jesus, through me, your vessel. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you, how many of you are are golfers or would like to golf better or anything like that? Just kind of raise your hand for a second. Okay. What if you received a phone call this week and on the line a guy says, you know, I'm going to be off for about nine months to a year and I was just wondering if I could come by, golf with you on Saturdays, maybe a couple times in the next month or so. Uh, My name's Tiger Woods. How many would refuse that? Uh, let's just say that uh, you're planning an event. It may be a wedding, anniversary, birthday party, something coming up, and you receive a phone call. How many like you know are planning or like to do that kind of event planning, or at least would like help if you did? Yeah, probably quite a few. And on the other end of the line is the administrative assistant for Martha Stewart saying, you know what? I'm going to be in Minnesota, going to be there a few months before, and I would love to help you plan that party. How many refuse that? Let's just think for a second. You're, you're working with investments. I'm sure some people have investments here, and as you're working through it and you're looking at your portfolio, you get a call from a guy who's been retired for a while, but he's really had a great track run, and he's, he's not doing anything in retirement, and... The former Fidelity investment guru, Peter Lynch, says, I'd like to, for the next five years, help you manage that fund. How many would say, I don't think so? How about, how about let, me, let me ask uh, ladies, uh, maybe some guys here as well. You look at your closet, you see all the clothes, and you go, boy, they're just not fitting like they used to. A lot of old stuff in here. And, and, and you get a call from Michael Kors. And he says, you know, I'd like to come in and clean out your closet and help you design that closet with the clothes in it that would make you look outstanding. How many of you are going to say no, you guys? I say no. Um, what about Billy Graham calls you and says, you know, been doing this thing for quite some time. I'd love to spend some time with you. Share with you some tips about what it means to live a really spiritually healthy, long-lasting life. I think we'd all say yes. Let me put it this way. I think you'd be a fool to pass that kind of help up, that kind of wisdom. Let me ask you to think about it this way. God comes to you. He comes to you through the form of a human being who is both God and man, Jesus Christ. And he says, there is wisdom that I want to give you, that I want you to walk with, that I want you to know, and I will be a part of your life every day of the life if you just open your heart to me. And then he says, you know, there's a place in Scripture, too, that if you would just on a regular basis open this and look at it and read it, you can get real help for life. Real practical answers. All you need to do is open the Word of God to Proverbs. Well, that's what we've been looking at this week, and we'll be looking at the next couple of weeks. And and in a sense, I just want to say that I really believe that God shows up in his word, and he shows up in this book called Proverbs. And we looked at it last week, and we said one of the things about Proverbs that we learned about Proverbs is that it is wisdom, practical wisdom for doing life. It it applies to to everybody. This wisdom, this way of doing life, 
is God's general grace that he gives to all people. Whether they even want to say they know him or not. These practical pieces of wisdom applied, whether in your business or in relationship, in your personal life, will make a difference. And the great thing about it, as we learned last week, is it's available to anybody. Anybody who wants it. It's no respecter of person. It doesn't matter what kind of background, what kind of culture you come from, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, what kind of personality type you are. God says that his wisdom will apply to anybody who wants it. So not only is it a way of doing life that helps you do life in areas that maybe you're stuck or you're just not doing as well or you'd like to do better and gives you those kind of insights, but it's available to any person who wants it. And it comes with this little condition. The person who receives it is the person who is willing to open their life. Basically, the Word of God says they're humble. They're people who fear the Lord. Or they're people who are in a place where they're saying, I'm open to this wisdom being being available and valued in my life. Well, today, this morning, I want to speak to you about a few more things about this wisdom that comes in Proverbs chapter 1. And beginning in chapter verse, uh, verse 20 of chapter 1. And, and, and what you find here in wisdom is not only is it a way of doing life, not only is it available to all people, not only is it for those who are humble, but it's for, if you look at this whole idea of wisdom, it is found everywhere. That's what verses 20 and 21 say. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Wisdom shows up in all kinds of places. Just a few things about wisdom in verse 20. It's very interesting that this word is an unusual word, the very first word in verse 20, wisdom calls out. This this is found in three other places, although there's many different words for the word wisdom, just like we have in our own language many different words for a certain kind of um, Entity, the, the, the idea of wisdom is found in many different words, but this word is peculiar. It's found in chapter 9, verse 1, and also found in chapter 24, verse 7. One other place it's found is Psalm 49, 3. It's an interesting word for wisdom. In fact, it could be the Phoenician form, a very singular word, and you would say, why would a Phoenician word be found in the Hebrew Bible? It's because that Solomon, who wrote these Proverbs and gathered these Proverbs, gathered them from different places and he, he brought them together. And he was a person who was so wise that he could have brought in that word from another language. But it's not just a Phoenician singular form. It's the Hebrew plural form. And, and by that, the reason this is important even to even discuss for a moment is that often in the Hebrew, when it would take something that's really just a singular form and make it a plural form... It would often be this idea of fullness and completeness. Almost this sense of, 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 of being completely full of everything that that topic can contain. In fact, the Hebrew word for the word God is Elohim, which is a, a plural form. And often it's used in the sense that it's called a majestic plural. It's the idea that it's used for deity or, or for sovereign beings. Like kings. And so sometimes instead of a singular form, they would use this plural form. So there's a real sense that I think what what Solomon is doing right away is saying wisdom, this kind of wisdom, just like the word Elohim, which is this plural form, this majestic. It's this kind of wisdom, in a sense, is, is in one way a name for who God is. God shows up in the fullness of this. 
Not only, you know, like you think about the word love and you say God is love. Not that, that love is some distinct thing. Love is all of who God is. And it shows up in that way. In the same way, he's saying wisdom is that way. And his wisdom is so great and is so, so much containing who God is, just in the same way that God is then everywhere. He is present. He's omnipresent. He makes this point that wisdom in the same way has the ability because like God, it can show up everywhere. There's no excuse. Wisdom is not only not a respecter of persons, Wisdom, in a sense, is not a respecter of place. Isn't that wonderful to know? You can be in the darkest dungeon. You can be in the most removed place. You can be where you work and think it's the worst place to be. And guess what? God's there. Wisdom's available. If that's the point, basically, he's making here. In the most common places, in the most ordinary relationships, in the everydayness of living, wisdom calls to you. It's not an academic pursuit. It's not found just in the ivory towers of learning. It is not merely an intellectual thing, because sometimes people will go, you know, I'm just never going to be wise because I'm not intellectual. Do you know what? Even a, a child with Down syndrome or a, a child that, that has difficulty, difficulty mentally may not have intellectual ability, but can have wisdom. If you look again at verses 20 and 21, it says, wisdom shouts in the street. The idea is in, in your ordinary daily journey, tomorrow, when you hit the road in the car, wisdom's available. It's, it's, it's there. Wisdom raises her voice in the public square. On Wall Street, or in the evening news, you can find wisdom. Wisdom cries out in the midst of noisy streets, the bustling crowd after a concert, or maybe you're walking out of a Twins game. Wisdom is possibly there. Wisdom makes her speech in the gateway of the city. It can be as you walk into the entrance of a restaurant or as you're walking through the doors of a grocery store. You know what? It could be that God is waiting with wisdom in that moment, in that place for you. Isn't that exciting? That God is willing to meet you with his wisdom in any place and everywhere. God's classroom is throughout. The universe is his whiteboard, in a sense. First, I wrote down blackboard, and I thought, well, that's kind of archaic. And then I wrote down whiteboard. I thought that might work. And then I watched the Olympics, and I thought I probably should say, I, I probably should have said the universe is God's LCD screen. Anybody see that? In all kinds of people, in all kinds of relationships, wisdom can be found. In all kinds of places, there's wisdom. It can be with your supervisor, one of your coworkers, could be one of your teachers. Your friend, a neighbor, can provide you with insight. And guess what? Even your spouse. That's kind of a joke. (laughs) Because, you know, guys, your spouse is probably your best voice of wisdom. Beyond this, there can be wisdom in even someone you perceive as your enemy. God's wisdom can even show up in a person who opposes you. I'll talk more about that next week. Let me illustrate some ways that God is able to show up if we're open. I remember when I was very early in, in our marriage, my wife and I, I think it was around the six, seven year mark, and I was really investing myself into my work, into the church, and as I was investing myself into that, I, I wasn't really paying attention to my wife and, and her needs and things such as that. And I remember very clearly one morning, I'm down in the basement with my wife, and she 
um, looks at me and says, do you know what, do you think we should maybe separate for a while? I went, you know, you ever had that? Boom. What? And we began to talk, and I began to try and understand what was going on, and I realized um, we, I, I needed to take care of our marriage and our family. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't get what's going on here. Down in a basement, um, out of my wife, some words and feelings that she had, it led me to an office of a counselor. I remember going to this counselor's office, and I remember, I wish I had a chair here, I remember sitting there like this. I'm thinking someone of the church might see me. Heaven forbid that I wouldn't have my act together. I mean, what a silly thing. I sat there, and I went in, and he looked at me and he said, Why are you here? And I said, you know, I got one, one really simple question. How come I have so much more energy for, for my work and for the things of the church and things like that, and I just don't seem to have the same kind of energy for my family and for my wife? He said, well, we can work on that. And in the office of a counselor, I got wisdom. I began to see and understand that so much of my energy for my work and for what was out here was really just an extension of, of a self-esteem and a concept and things such about myself. And every guy... And women, I think, know this, where you, you want to try and draw your value from what's outside here. And I began to have to do this journey of looking in. And, and then God began to meet me in one of the most wonderful places where I think his wisdom is so often found through his word. And in times when I would be alone and I would be quiet and I would just, with a cup of coffee and a journal, begin to start writing and look at my life. And I'd say, God, I want to learn from you. I want to learn from you anywhere, anyone, everywhere. If you can teach me, I want to know. Wisdom shows up in all kinds of places, folks. God's voice calls to you in many, many places. You know, sometimes I, I, I meet with people and they're going through difficult times. And, and this isn't always the case, but there's sometimes I'll meet with, like, with a family or maybe a couple and they'll share with me about a rebellious child and this child who's doing these things that are, are really kind of inappropriate behavior. But as I listen and I've known the family and the situation, I just want to say this child... Although you are putting blame and shame on it, and, 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 and this child, in a sense, is carrying the shame of the family, so that maybe another child looks like the hero. And, and, and what happens so often is wisdom is shouting out of a rebellious child's mouth, saying, guess what? There's some things not right in this family system, and I so want to live in integrity, they even do things that are wrong. Some of you lived that out in your life. You know what it meant to rebel because you were rebelling and it wasn't until years later that you came to an understanding that what you were rebelling against and the things you were doing you know weren't really right and they weren't good for you and they were silly and you look back now but you also know deep in your heart what you were standing up against and what you were trying to shout to was getting the attention of, of some parents and a family system that was really not right, that was off base, that needed help, that needed wisdom and there was a family system that was working in such a way that people were feeling good about themselves that they couldn't look at them themselves, but they had to blame someone else. Anybody ever been there? I don't know if that's true. I'm just telling you, wisdom shows up in places that if you're open to it and you're humble, God doesn't have a respect of whether you come from this background or that background, have this degree or that degree. 
He'll show up where you want him in your heart to to meet you, and it can be anywhere. I want you to think for a second. Is there a place in your life where God is knocking on your heart? Wisdom's a choice. It's a choice that's made again and again that leads to becoming a wise person, a person of character. The choices that we make, the little choices we make day in and day out are the things that form within us a character. And over time, that character hardens and becomes very strong and very, very concrete like. Yet wisdom can be spurned. It's a choice that you can also say, just like I said in the beginning of this message, you could also have someone come to you and, 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 and offer you some wisdom. It may not be a Peter Lynch or Tiger Woods or Martha Stewart or, or any of these kind of individuals, but God may use a rebellious child. He may use a situation in your work world. He may use something within the, that you just read, and he may be knocking on the door of your heart, and yet you can say, I don't want it. I don't want to hear Wisdom calls from every area of life, but the fool says, I don't care to hear. Wisdom calls with truth to set you free, but the fool remains trapped in a pattern of pride and ambition and self-pity, blame, and a whole host of ways to deflect God and his wisdom. I can tell you, I thank God, and it wasn't of me, of something I believe God at work in me that I didn't just turn to my wife and say, oh, you're nuts. I thank God. But I've spurned wisdom many times and paid a price for that. Wisdom calls the fool chooses again and again to disregard wisdom's plea. God is gracious yet and calls again and again. God might be calling graciously in your life. You may have said no many times. You may have said no for a number of years now, but God continues to call because he loves you. But one of the things you find that as you reject wisdom and you do it over and over again, you fall into deeper levels of folly. There's a sense that as the wisdom calls and it calls out to you, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. It gets quieter because your heart hardens. There's three choices, classes of people in the word of God here, if you look at verse 22, who don't listen to God and to wisdom. There are basically three types of fools. <clears throat> the first is this, one who is simple. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? And he says, how long will mockers delight in mockery? You see, you love to delight and then the laugh, and fools hate knowledge. There's this progression through their choices, they seem to move from one stage to the next. There's the early stage, the simple naive, the middle stage of a mocker and scoffer, and this last stage, which I call the complete idiot. It just says fool in the word of God. But it's, it's one of those kind of words for just completely hardened. It's, you know, brazen fool. Simple and naive, the root word here is the idea they're open to influence. In chapter 8, verse 5, wisdom calls out to the naive and says, you who are simple gain prudence. It's possible that you haven't hardened yet, that wisdom is calling to you, and you hear wisdom very loudly. There's a sense of this naivety, there's, there's a sense of this openness, and in this openness there's a place where you're malleable, and in that malleability, if you make choices, you can grow. And so there's a sense that wisdom calls to both. This naive fool who has the opportunity either to turn this way or to turn Towards God. And then it goes on and says, that's just a picture of someone without moral direction who's been untainted by the world yet has a selfish heart. It goes on and talks about the next phase, the person who becomes a mocker and scoffer. And you can, in your own heart, begin to start seeing this. It's the person who, after wisdom is called for a while, you kind of, kind of raise your fist and, and you look at wisdom and you just scoff at it. Ah, 
Those fools. What a stupid thing. They worked so hard. Why are they working every day? And why do they put aside a little bit of money every day? You know, scoffs at it. And the Hebrew word here refers to one who becomes the enemy in a sense of wisdom. The person is arrogant and cynical and defiant, high-handed before God and wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 states that God mocks and listens to proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. And then I use the word complete idiot because there's a whole number of words in the Hebrew for this kind of person. There's the word nabal, which is found in a number of different places. It's one who is boorish and dull. They become dull. The best, best picture of that is 1 Samuel 25. You can read that sometime. It's the story of David coming to Nabal, who, who has his wife Abigail, and, and it's this complete picture of a person who's a fool. I mean, an idiot. And then there's a, another Hebrew word, he will. It, it's used 19 times. It's this flippant, obstinately careless person who lives without restraint. I don't care if the sign says 70 miles an hour. I want to go 120. I want to see if I can take the corner. There's another word, kasil, in the Hebrew, which is used 50 times. So Nebel is used about four to five times. You go about 18, 19 times, and this word is used 50 times. And it refers to one who is insensible to moral truth and acts without regard to it. It's someone who's become hard in their direction. It's choices that have made over and over time that create a character. And this character leads one away from God and to hell. I just want to stop for a second. And I want to say, especially to some who are in their younger years, you're in your youth. You're in that naive and simple place. And that's what scripture refers to. You're in that place where God is speaking to you. He's saying, don't harden your heart. I'm speaking to you about things. My voice right now, in fact, to some of you is saying, open your heart, change your ways. Allow me in. And what you hunger for, you may think it's here, but I want to tell you, it, it's really something in here, and it's with me, says God. And if you let me lead you in it, instead of moving towards that, I'll lead you into paths that may it be difficult at times, but they will be much more rewarding than what you long for. I want to speak to some of you who know you're in sin right now. You know your hand is up, and you're just mocking, and you're scoffing at God, or at least his wisdom. You may even think you're not at him, but you are at his wisdom, which is him. You know that you're doing something and in your heart you feel shame and you feel guilt about it, but you don't care. That's a scary place to be because it leads to this next phase, which is the phase where your heart becomes so hard and becomes so encased in your will that it leads you so much away from God that even God himself with everything he wants can't get a hold of you. We don't like to talk about the idea of hell these days or and we talk about heaven more readily and the abundant life, but there is a hell. There is a possibility, and this is what we need to know as we, and I'm saying even people here possibly need to understand that the direction of your choices can lead you in a direction away from God. In fact, when I was looking at these verses, verses 23 through 33, if you just read these, if you have responded to my rebuke, he says, and the word rebuke, if I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you, I'd have just given myself to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, you see this calling out and this, can I just reach out to you? And, and you see the person just say no. And since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, and I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you. 
And when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when a disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when the stress, trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. That sounds really harsh, but let me explain this in just a moment, okay? Since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, verse 31 is really important because you need to understand this. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. The very mocking they have there is their own mocking that begins to turn towards themselves. That's why God can say that mocking turns towards themselves. That very desire to rebuke that and spurn that is the very thing that gets spurned within themselves. And eventually, that which they've been eating, the fruit which they have taken, becomes theirs. Our lives are set on a trajectory by our choices. And God gives us an incredible gift called free will, and the fool, the fool refuses God's wisdom and heads in a direction, and our choices move us either towards God and heaven or away towards hell. I love how Timothy Keller puts it in his book. It's a book that's come out recently, and I encourage you to read it. You've got to go through the first chapter. It's a little difficult, but once you get through that, it's, it's great. The Reason for God. Belief in an age of skepticism. He writes this. Modern people inevitably think that hell works like this. God gives us time, but if we haven't made the right choices by the end of our life, he casts our souls into hell for all eternity. you catch that? As the poor soul falls through space, they cry for mercy, and God says, Too late, you had your chance, now you will suffer. This caricature misunderstands the very nature of evil and actually misrepresents the way Proverbs writes about this. The biblical picture is that sin separates us from the presence of God, which is source of all joy, indeed of all love, wisdom, and all the good things of any sort. And since we were originally created for God's immediate presence, only before his face will we thrive, flourish, and achieve our highest potential. If we were to lose his presence totally, that would be hell. The loss of our capability for giving and receiving love or joy. A common image of hell in the Bible is that of fire. And, and you think about fire. What does fire do? It disintegrates. Even in this life, we can see the kind of soul disintegration that self-centeredness creates. We know how selfishness and self-absorption leads to piercing bitterness, nauseating envy, paralyzing anxiety, paranoid thoughts, and mental denials and distortions that accompany them. If you ever have a chance to watch a show, it's hard to watch at times, but there's a show on A&E called Intervention. You can sit there and you can watch people who are in addictions, and you see this very thing that I just read here, where selfishness and self-absorption leads to bitterness and, and envy and anxiety and paranoid thoughts and mental denials, and you see it displayed from a microcosm into this larger sense in these, in these pictures on the show. But he says, now ask the question, what if when we die, we don't end, but spiritually our life extends into eternity? That's an interesting thing. That when we die, the choices we made just continue on. Hell, then, is the trajectory of a soul living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever. And that's what Jesus talked about. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis describes a busload of people from hell who come to the outskirts of heaven. There they are urged to leave behind their sins that have trapped them in hell. But they, like fools, refuse. They refuse the offer. 
And Lewis's description of these people are striking because if we are open, we can recognize in them the self-delusion and self-absorption that maybe not to such an extreme, but to some degree may lie in our own addictions and attitudes. Halcyos, Lewis writes, begins with a grumbling mood. Now catch this, I think this is so well written. Begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you still are distinct from it. It's just a grumbling mood, it's a complaint. But there may come a day when you can no longer do so. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even enjoy it. You become it. But just to grumble itself going on like ever, forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell in each of us. As it said in that scripture, the fruit of your, what you've eaten. It is the, it's not that so much as in each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Because hell is a choice. And as Proverbs says, the fool looks at wisdom and says again and again, no thanks. C.S. Lewis continues and so aptly describes these people in hell as being miserable. He says, we see raging like unchecked flame their pride, their paranoia, their self-pity, their certainty that everyone else is wrong, that everyone else is an idiot. All their humility is gone, and thus so is their sanity. They are utterly, finally locked in a prison of their own self-centeredness and their pride progressively expands into a bigger and bigger mushroom cloud. They continue to go to pieces, disintegrate, forever blaming everyone but who? Themselves. That is hell. By choices. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, hell is the greatest monument to human freedom. Paul says in Romans 1.24, God gave them up to their desires. See, all God does in the end with people is give them what they most want, including freedom from God himself. And finally, Lewis writes this, there are only two kinds of people, and I think this is interesting because if you read through Proverbs, there are either wise people or fools. He's pretty black and white. First John, if you read First John, it's also pretty black and white. Because he's basically making the point there's people who are heading this trajectory or that trajectory. He says there are only two kinds of people, those who say thy will be done to God, or those whom God in the end says thy will be done. All that hell is, all that are in hell, basically, he says, choose it. And without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. So I just want to tell you this. Wisdom must be wanted. Like, like God, wisdom must be wanted. The counterpart to God's desire to give everyone wisdom in chapters 1, verses 1 through 6, which we looked at last week, and to make it available to all in verses 1, chapter 1, 20 through 21, is the student's desire to want it. So God is calling and wants to give it, and now he makes this interesting statement. He says, I am so much wanting to give it, now he wants you to want it. Wisdom, the teacher clamors to be heard, but we, the student, must do our own part. Wisdom requires your entire heart. You must desire it, you must long for it, you must want it more than anything else in this world. It's not just a two or one hour commitment on a Sunday morning. It's more than a two to three minutes where you maybe read a couple of verses and pray and think, well, God's really happy with me. It's more than just a few bucks in offering plate or serving a few hours in some kind of ministry. It's about a life. I love God is so jealous. He wants all. It's about one's life's orientation. 
If you look at these verses in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it's progressive. It begins, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turn your ears to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding. And if you call out for wisdom, you cry aloud for understanding. See, it's getting more progressively stronger. And if you look for it as silver and you search for it as hidden treasure, getting wisdom as a priority, it's a passion, it's a pursuit, he says. So you have to ask yourself, how bad do I want to be wise? What are you willing to give up, give up for it? The psalm like it's to a silver or to a hidden treasure. It amazes me what some people will do for certain things. I remember reading one time about Audubon. Remember the guy who was uh, all the uh, bird facts? What he would do for bird facts? Listen to what he did. Audubon, the great naturalist, was willing to undergo prolonged in his discomfort to learn all he could about the world of birds. He would do whatever it meant to get more facts. He counted his physical discomfort as nothing compared to the success of getting just one more fact. He would rise at midnight, night after night, and go into the swamps to study the habits of certain nighthawks. He would crouch motionless for hours in the dark and fog, feeling himself well rewarded if, after weeks of waiting, he secured one additional fact about a single bird. During one summer, he went day after day to the bayous near New Orleans to observe a shy waterfowl. He would stand almost to his neck in nearly stagnant water, scarcely breathing, while countless poisonous moccasin snakes swam past his face and while great alligators passed and repassed in his silent watch. How many would do that? It wasn't pleasant, he said, duh, um, <laughs> as his face glowed with enthusiasm. But what of that, he said, I have a picture of the bird. Now, whenever I think of Audubon and his eager pursuit for just one additional wildlife fact, I can't help but ask, how eager do I pursue God? To what degree of determination do I want to know his wisdom? How much personal sacrifice will I make to grow deeply in love with God? I'm going to ask you to bow your head. We're going to close the service with just a, a time of some guided prayer. I'm going to ask with your head bowed for, for just these few moments for you to, to reflect and to think about your own life. And I just want to share with you, I've said it's a choice, the greatest choice in the world. This is, heaven and, and relationship with God is not about earning something. It's about God in Jesus giving himself to you. And all you have to do is open your heart to it. It's, a, it's, it's the greatest grace gift in the world. With your head bowed, just as we go into this time, just as few moments of prayer, I just want to share with you that God, if you have said, I want to know you, he will place his Holy Spirit in you. Think about this for a second. He will give you his Holy Spirit to be your 24-7 counselor. Knowing that, I want you to go to prayer and I want you to look in at your heart. Has the Spirit of God touched you in any place this morning? That you, you may not even understand fully what it is, but it, it, you could just feel the nudge. You knew there was something that, that God was speaking to you about personally. Not your, not your spouse, not your kids, not someone at work, not, not me as your pastor, but you. Would you just ask him to allow the Holy Spirit in you to begin to just make it very clear to you? 
It may not be right now. It may be through the week or the next few months. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing, not just looking inside. Now I want you to look outside. Look outside yourself because there's people around you who need wisdom. And my guess is in in a number of cases, you're not going to be the voice of that. There may be a few. Some of you are really gifted with that. But it may be that God is going to ask you just to pray for their heart to be open for wisdom wherever God desires to show up to them. Maybe a child, it may be a parent, maybe a friend at work. Would you just lift them up in prayer? Lord, thank you. I ask you kind of quietly to stand as we're going to close. Let's stand together. And now I'm going to ask you just to give these to God. They're His. Father, thank you. Take these prayers. God, thanks for these people. I love them, and I pray that you would just move through them and through us and knit our hearts together, that we might see you working through us and form the very very character of Christ so that the the trajectory of this church in our lives would be more and more into your presence, into this very place called heaven. We give you thanks, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good morning.